Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters. That's us, we're the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas and culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, and again, for the second time this week, not joined by my brother Jacob Johnson, unfortunately, uh, but he'll be back next week. So you've got that to look forward to, but unfortunately, you know, you're stuck with me uh, for the rest of this episode and just me. Um, but I hope to keep you fairly entertained, but also obviously informed. Today is Discussion Topic Friday, and we are talking about, this is actually a third uh, episode in this series. We're talking about leadership for the king, the business. So we've kind of been going through the Kyperian spheres of authority, and we've gradually and slowly made our way to a sphere that didn't exist. What? That's right. We're talking about the business, which is actually a brand new sphere uh, Jacob invented. I can't take credit for this one, which is actually kind of hilarious because he's not here to talk about it. <laughs> so, but he came up with the idea, which kind of uh, instigated the entire series we've been doing. And the one episode for the idea he came up with, he's not here. Anyways, um, so talking about the business, there is so much here. And we're doing it in the scope of leadership for the king. We're talking about this topic, this idea from the perspective of leadership for the king. And so obviously we're not just going to talk about your typical biblical tropes about business and, and all those sorts of things. Um, but we hope this will be informative and bring you some new ideas. Before we get into all that, though, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. And the verse this week, the passage is Romans 12, 19 through 20. This passage says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap uh, coals of fire on his head. Again, that's Romans 12, 19 through 20. This whole week we've been talking about how there is still this, um, this, idea of, of war, this idea of having enemies, this idea of conquering. And today, I think this verse applies even, even more so, right? We, we, in the business sphere, it's really easy to think about our enemies as our competitors, right? When you're in the business sphere and even Christian uh, businesses will do this, but we have to remember who the real enemy is. And when we do that with our business, it changes how we act in our business. When we understand what we're actually doing when we create a business, when we work in a business, is we are fighting a cultural battle through our work. We are working for God's kingdom through our work. We're working to build a Christianized society through our work. When we recognize that, it dramatically changes the nature of what we look at as an acceptable job, <laughs> right? Now, that can go both ways. Um, you know, a couple... Uh, months ago, actually, oh my goodness, more than a couple of, this might've been over a year ago. <laughs> it's all starting to blur together, but we had a guy on the show by the name of Brendan Raby, and he was talking about Christian video gaming. How do we do video gaming as unto the Lord? And, you know, I'm not a video gamer. Jacob is, is more the video gamer. Um, but we were, you know, discussing, oh yeah, hey, this is something that should be taken for God too. Right? This was during our Building a Christian Culture series. So we asked the two questions. One, is this an area of culture that should be redeemed? And two, if it is, how do we do that? Right? We asked that with all of the different um, areas of culture. And so when we got to video gaming, 
it was the question of, well, should this actually be redeemed? And as we discussed in that episode, the answer kind of overwhelmingly was yes. This is, this is an area that is not inherently sinful. It should be redeemed and taken for Christ. So um, anyway, if you missed that, you can look up Brandon Raby or, or look up our series on trdshow.net for building a Christian culture. But that's just one example of a business that maybe you might not have thought Christian video gaming was an acceptable business, right? But now through the lens of the Bible, oh, actually, yeah, that's, is it an area? That's the question you ask is, is it an area that needs to be taken for Christ? And if the answer is yes, and if he's given you the gifts and abilities to do that, do it. That should be your goal. And then figure out how to make money with it. <laughs> right? Right? That's, that's, that's the list, the order of priorities. Um, so when we're talking about all of these sorts of things, we're talking about our enemies, we're talking about, you know, don't avenge yourselves, don't give place to or right, don't let wrath completely overtake you, let the Lord bring vengeance. God here is not saying that vengeance is wrong. He's saying he's going to be the one to, to, to bring vengeance. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord, right? So this is, there's war, there's actively going out and conquering parts of society. There's, there's this idea of not just sitting on the sidelines and, and working on your own personal soul and just sitting there and, you know, relaxing or whatever, right? Just working because you need money. Yes. Okay. I'm supposed to support a family. All right, fine. I guess I'll do a job to do that. No, right. You're, you're, you as a man were put on this earth to take dominion. That is your job. And we do that through Christ in society. That's what we're doing. So in that same scope, um, I kind of want to start from the beginning when we're, when we're discussing this, this idea of, um, business and our leadership for the king, the business, right? And remember, if, if this is your first time tuning into a leadership for the king episode, leadership for the king is different than just regular old leadership. It's leadership with a purpose. If it's just regular old leadership, where does that go? What are you leading? What are you leading for? Generally, it's just kind of to survive. <laughs> it's like, oh, we need leaders because if we don't, everything falls apart. Yes. Yeah. So you want to be a good leader. Okay, sure, sure. But for why? <laughs> right? like, okay, it's not falling apart. For what reason? What, what's the reason for the cohesion? <laughs> right? um, and that's what this series is all about. The reason for the cohesion, the reason to lead well, is because we are leading for the king. We have talked about leading the individual for the king, leading our families for the king. Now we're talking about leading our businesses for the king. And so massive part of that is recognizing, A, at the beginning, businesses are not a bad thing. I feel like this doesn't need to be said, but unfortunately in today's day and age, it does, right? <laughs> so many Christians like, and actually it was, it was quite a while before even I understood this. Um, that's what we're created to do as men. We're not created to, right, we're not coming up with all of these innovative ideas in society, right? This is the, this is the lie. You watch Star Trek, you watch whatever show, right? Or you just talk to other people in the world who are looking at modern technology and their first thing, you know, their first thought is, whoa, it's, it's going to be so convenient. The future is going to be full of conveniences. And that's what we should be pushing for, right? When I talked about a biblical view of technology about a year and a half ago, what I wrote there was, no, we're not creating technology for convenience. Innovation is not simply for 
convenience. That's not, that can't be the main motivating factor that will flop. Any business that is centered on pure convenience will flop. That's what happens. And so that's not what we're doing here with, with technology. We're not innovating for the sake of convenience or the sake of innovating's sake, right? Innovate to innovate. That, that makes no sense. Okay, so what are we doing it for? Well, here's what we're doing it for. Colossians 3.17. And what, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then I'll continue Genesis 2.15. Quote, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Genesis 2.15. Elsewhere, we're told to take dominion, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over everything on the earth, over all of creation. That's our job as humans. That's what we're supposed to do. God put us here to tend the garden of creation, <laughs> right? We failed in the little thing, the small garden, when we were supposed to succeed there and have you know, greater success over the whole garden, which is all of creation, but we failed in the little thing. And now we're reaping the, the you know, downside of, of all of that failure. But it's still our job, though. There was no point at which that job was taken away from us as human beings. That's still what we're here to do. And remember, work came before the fall. It's not a result of the fall. Work is a very biblical thing for us to be doing. And so when we talk about you know, creating businesses, creating innovation, creating technology, the purpose of all of that should not be for us to sit back and relax. We have to get this straight as Christians. We can't expect the secularists to. They won't. They're not going to get this. Okay? If a few of them do, the, the mo mo most of them will not right? So many people are like, yay, we get, uh, you know, self-driving cars, or we get, uh, you know, whatever the latest technical advancement is, so that we don't have to work so that we can do less. Yay, we get robots. So my job is easier. And I don't have to do as much. But instead, we should be thinking, okay, we get all these innovations. Why? Why has God given us things like ChatGPT? Why? Well, we have those innovations so that we can work better so that we can get even more done with our work, right? We have billions of miles on the face of this planet that we are supposed to take dominion over. How do we do that? Well, it becomes easier with every innovation to do that. And if you take the, the easy way out, it, it just becomes easier. It just becomes, oh, great, I get to be lazy. It's easy now. I can do less. When instead we should say, no, no, no. It's easier, which means now I can do more, more of the easy thing, which is going to amount to about the same amount of work as I was doing before, except now my output is doubled. <laughs> that's, that's our perspective. That's how we should look at this. Um, so that's, that's A, that's the first part of being a leader, leader for the king in your business, understanding what you're there for. What are you working for? Not seeing every every new technology, every new advancement, everything, you know, it's coming down the pike as an opportunity to, to do less. It's an opportunity to do more. It's the complete opposite. Um, but also we have to remember that, well, and I actually here, I'll, I'll throw this verse in because this, this ties in really well to, to what we're talking about. Proverbs 18, nine says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys Proverbs 18, nine. So again, Tying in that same, same idea. We, we were created to work. We were created to get things done well. Just because there's innovation 
doesn't mean we should be slack, right? If we are slack in our work, we're a brother to him who destroys. We're basically just destroying things for slack in our work. Which is kind of a crazy concept when you think about it, right? But in addition to this, I would be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that we've, we've addressed what it means to be a leader for the king. We've addressed how we should look at innovations and in technology in our business and how that drives us forward. But also, we should obviously talk about a general moral work ethic that comes from something deeper than the golden rule of, oh, I just, things will fall apart. That's kind of the secularist's golden rule. That's what they have to revert back to. Or they have to say, well, I wouldn't like it very much if they did this to me. If we're thinking about ethics, we're thinking about how we treat people in our business dealings, what, what's portrayed in movies and TV shows when you see the fat cats, right? That's not, that term really isn't used anymore, but it used to be. And that's what got us to this time period where people hate capitalists, right? People hate the free market system because they think of what the, you know, the movie indoctrinations, basically what they were pushing through the, the, the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s was this idea of the fat cats, right? These are these people who are, you know, rich beyond all imagination and they use their riches for their own gain. Squash the little guy and on and on and on, right? And the Bible talks a lot about that, right? That's not them saying that that's a bad thing is not wrong. Yes, that's, that's a bad thing. But what they did instead was they leveraged that to say, okay, so nobody should have any money. <laughs> right? Let's penalize the rich people, even if they're not using it to do that. Let's just assume they're all doing it. That's what they did. That's, that's where, and, and actually it was, we're going to take your money because we know how to use it better. And now they're the millionaires, but, but it's okay because they're going to use it well, right? They're basically Robin Hood. They stole it from the rich, but they didn't give to the poor, <laughs> right? I mean, even if they did, that wouldn't have been right. So anyways, all that to say, um, we, we have this, this whole idea of ethics. How can you have ethics in business if your primary thing is humanism? It's all about the human. It's all about just, you know, what I think feels nice. And, oh, that wouldn't be very nice if the fat cats did that to the poor people. That doesn't give me a very good feeling. Well, what if they can justify why they're doing it, though? It'll save millions of lives. Oh, well, then you've got a different story, right? If, those are, if that's your ethics is here, your heart, it's you, then you, you can justify that. You can say whatever you want to get whatever you want done. And that's what we see happening all the time, right? So that's, we know that. But I feel like I needed to say this because it's part of the episode. Um, Proverbs 11.1, 1, quote, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but just weight is his delight. Um, and then, of course, Leviticus 19.13, quote, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning, end quote. All of this, there's so many other passages too, talking about ethics in business, right? Our standard is much higher than just what we think we can justify and what feels nice to us in the moment, right? Hey, there's a rich guy there. Doesn't it seem like, you know, if we wanted to avoid the whole fat cats thing, wouldn't it be better not to give him his money so immediately? I mean, he's, he's not going to need it. He's not going to, right? I mean, why? Let's just, hey, let's wait a bit. And then we can give money to some of these other people and, you know, maybe that would be better. You could justify that. You really could. Hey, look, we're helping the poor. And then 
a Christian walks up and goes to Leviticus 19.13. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. If you promise to pay someone, they've done the work, then you pay them. That's a Christian ethic, right? The laborer is worth his wages. That is a, that is a Christian ethic right there. And you can justify that. You can justify the opposite from a humanist perspective quite easily. But the Christian has to stand there and say, no, the Bible says the laborer is worth his hire. He's worth his wages. He's worked for this money. We're not going to hold it back from him. Not even, you know, if you have it in the evening, give it to him before the day, right? Before the morning. Like, oh, I'll give it to him in the morning. No, do it now. You, you promised him this money. He did the work. Give him the money. Imagine if across all of society, <laughs> people held to that ethic. I'm not going to delay paying this person who did work for me. I'm going to pay him right now as I have the money and he did the work. Here we go. There it is. We're done. The debt is paid. Imagine how different this world would be if we and our businesses held to those sorts of ethics. Um, Proverbs 10, 4. This is, this is another um, aspect of business that I think a lot of people, especially Christians, who are not really well learned in these aspects of the Bible might cringe and be like, yeah, but it's not wrong though. Proverbs 10, Proverbs 10, 4, quote, a slack hand causes poverty. Okay. With you so far, this next bit, next bit, that's a bit concerning, but the hand of the diligent makes rich Proverbs 10, 4, but it's wrong to be rich. Isn't it? It's not a bad thing. That's horrible. You don't want to make money. Like that would be so bad, right? How can you serve, you know, God and money? No man can serve two masters. Right? It's easier for a rich man to go, uh, or for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Right? How, wait, wait, wait. Isn't the Bible contradicting itself? How do, you, how do you put these two things together? All right, let's break this down. I, I feel like I don't have to spend too much time on this. Right? But it should be said. I, I think most people in our audience understand this, understand there's a difference, understand that riches are not a bad thing in and of themselves. It's just stuff. It's our hearts that's the problem. It's not what goes into a man that corrupts him, but what comes out of his heart, right? So that's it in a nutshell right there, the answer to this question of, well, hold on, how can you, how can Proverbs say that we shouldn't have a slack hand? We shouldn't have a slack hand because why? Because it causes poverty, right? We shouldn't want to be in poverty. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a natural inclination is for us not to be in poverty, and that's not a bad thing, right? But the opposite of poverty, the thing we should go for is the hand of, for the hand of the diligent makes rich. If you're diligent in your work, if you're not the sluggard, if you're like the ant who doesn't have a captain to tell her what, her, what to do, but she does her work, that's how you're supposed to be. That's a diligent hand. And Proverbs says that will make you rich. That's not great, is it? <laughs> But it is though. That's a blessing from God. That's how can, if God gives us that blessing, how can we say that that's wrong? What we need to watch for is what Israel kept falling into over and over and over again, which was idolatry, right? What we need to watch for is not loving our wealth more than God. Um, I think uh, Pastor Wilson calls this ordered affections, right? We can't put 
our money, our wealth above our affection for God. And it does happen so easily. But our answer can't be like the Pharisees. What they do is they're like, oh, no, there's this law. I don't want to break this law. Now, is that motivation bad? No, that's a very good motivation. I don't want to break God's law. What do they do instead, though? They say God's law isn't good enough. That law isn't good enough because it's too close. It's too close to my heart and I can break it too easily. So I'm going to make 20 other laws around it so that I don't, I don't even get close to that law, right? Okay, the Bible says not to eat shellfish, right? The, the Jews, right? So what would they do? They would avoid, you know, anything that would even come close to sell, shellfish. Avoid this genre of food. Avoid this. Avoid that, right? <laughs> like, just avoid as much as possible. That's the Jewish religion today. It's bloated beyond all measure. They have thousands of laws, all created by their traditions. Why? So that they could avoid breaking the core main laws that God gave them. Also, they deny Christ, and so they don't understand the freedom that we have in Christ. So they keep making up laws so that they can be their own redeemers, but that's a whole nother problem. But what we're talking about here is they basically said God's law isn't good enough. We need to create our own laws so that we don't, because that's not good enough. And so we don't break that one law. We need 20 others. No, we are not God. If God wanted us to have 20 other laws, he would have given them to us. He would have given us those 20 other laws. So we didn't break that one, but that's not what he did. He said, don't do this. Don't put money and wealth above me in your hearts. Don't commit idolatry. Did he say don't have money? Nope. No. He did not, right? What did, what did Christ say? You, everyone who gives up his family, gives up his money, gives up his wealth, gives up his property, will get it all back tenfold with persecutions. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it's not free. There's a, there's a price to pay. There's persecutions involved. But wealth itself is not the problem. And we need to understand that and not keep creating our own laws and saying that that's wrong and making ourselves Gnostics. Um, okay. Proverbs twenty two, twenty nine. Let's spend the last couple minutes talking about skill in work. Quote, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And um, this is also true. We'll go to Luke sixteen nineteen or sixteen ten. Quote, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So we're going to take these two concepts and kind of flesh them out for the next couple of minutes and then we'll wrap up because we're almost out of time. But we're talking about here, I'll take the, the Proverbs passage first. See a man skillful in his work. This is the same sort of skill that we've talked about when we talked about music, right? Music is not this thing that is supposed to just be whatever. It's not just left up to our own imaginations to say, ah, we can do whatever we want in script in, you know, in, in, uh, the service in the worship service. There's no such thing as skill. We can, Hey, this is the music of the day. I've gotten pretty good at this kind of music. Let's do it. No, <laughs> there's a difference between skillful music and unskillful music. Strumming a few chords while you sing is not skillful music. <laughs> now being able to put together together intricate parts and layering music and putting it together into a beautiful symphony, that's dramatically different. Okay, so there's a difference between skill and unskilled music. 
Same way with work. There is a level of skill. Now, thankfully, this is something we haven't quite lost yet, although we're starting to. We're starting to lose culturally this idea of being skillful in your work. Um, and we kind of all just think, I, I think particularly speaking to the Gen Zers out there, you know, like myself and like Jake, our generation, a lot of people tend to think to themselves, a lot of kids, oh, I, I don't have to get super skillful at something. I can, I just need to find something I do differently than everyone else. And then I'm going to follow that and figure out how to use it, right? Without really getting more skillful, I, it just needs to be different. That's it, just different. And that's a problem. What we should be looking for is getting skillful skills in something. I'm going to use Jacob as an example because I can because he's not here. <laughs> um, he has spent the last five or six years of his life working to become a chef. He has spent countless hours every night cooking and, and going and getting, getting the materials and planning and trying things out and failing several times. <laughs> I can say this because I ate the food for the first three years that he you know, was just learning. And yeah, there was a lot of failure. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. Um, but now, six years later, it's incredible the stuff he's able to do, right? Because he, he, he focused. He said, no, I'm going to get good at this. I'm going to do it well. And I'm going to to take as much time now as, as I can, because he can take that time now in his life to get good at something. And, and that's a thing that I think we lack in this day and age. For instance, the amount of people who are, you know, in their teenage years or 16, 17, and are just scrambling around, they're like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. Why it just hit them now at this point for them to start thinking that through is beyond me. Um, but they're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess, I guess I just better go to college, right? Or they'll take the first job they see that opens up and that's what they'll do. And they'll just kind of not grow in their skills their whole life. But let's say they do go to college. What then? They're thousands, like almost $100,000 in debt. And unfortunately, these days, they're not learning the skills they need to know to do their jobs. Why? Well, because people are realizing, oh, shoot, we got to market this to this generation of kids. And they're not going to start, you know, coming through the doors and giving us all of this money if we don't make it marketable to them. And so what we're going to do is dumb it down. We're going to get rid of the tests because this generation doesn't want to learn and be more skillful at things. They just want it to come easy. Right? <laughs> I can say that because I'm part of that generation and in it. Hopefully not of it. <laughs> um, but, and now they go to college and they learn nothing because they're, the entire generation has been dumbed down to that level, right? So huge lack of skill. So we need to be completely different in our businesses as Christians. All that to say, skill, riches, working hard, those three things we focused on today and constructing a business that has a goal. It's four things are dramatically important. You need to have lots of skill. You need to spend time working at it. Find people who are good. That's, that's how you become a person who is a leader for the king. Humility is a massive part of that. I can't tell you how many times over the past couple of years I've had to throw away what I thought I knew and start over. Be like, nope, all right. I thought I knew this. 
I thought I did. But as it turns out, <clears throat> I didn't know it as well as I had to. And I had to relearn. I had to start over. I had to say, okay, there are people that know better than me, and I'm going to learn from them, right? That's how you increase in your skill. And then you need to not say, oh, I don't want to get, I don't want to get too rich. And if I start this, then it might, no. What you need to do is guard your heart from idolatry. And you need to put things in place to do that. You need to talk with your pastor. You need to talk with your friends, talk with your, your spouse and talk about, hey, I want to guard myself from idolatry here, but I know that I need money in order to grow the kingdom of God. How do I do this? Right. And then you need to have a mission that's going to propel forward the kingdom of God. And this is not just some smushy, you know, just, oh, just needs to be propelling the kingdom of God means sharing the gospel. Right? Just, just telling people about Jesus. No. Propelling the kingdom of God forward means transforming society, discipling the nation, discipling the town he's put you in, the sphere of authority he's given over you. Disciple it for Christ. That's growing the kingdom. We need to understand that. How we've distorted that so much is beyond me. Um, hopefully, this has been helpful, though, breaking down some of those points. And then finally, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. This is a really good way to just round out this conversation. Quote, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And that's why we end our show by saying a version of that verse, right? In all that you do, do everything for the glory of God. That's, that should be our mission in life. We are to disciple the nation right outside our doors, disciple the sphere of authority we've been put over and to do it for the glory of God, whether we're eating, drinking, or whatever we do. Hopefully this was helpful and uh, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation, Leadership for the King, the business. We're very much looking forward to seeing you back on Monday and I can't wait to have Jake back again. This will be great. And uh, we're going to be back on Monday to, to break down current events once again from a biblical perspective. Until then, have a great rest of your weekend. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.